every single market can work just kind of depends on what your goals are. If you want all cash flow, there's cash flow markets. If you want appreciation, there's appreciation markets. If you want to mix, there's some markets that mix. There's some in the path of progress, right? So it's understanding what do you want to do here and goals. You're listening to The Life and Money Show, a podcast that brings you the stories and strategies of people who are living a meaningful and intentional life by design, building true wealth for their families and impacting the world around them. And now here are your hosts, Annie Dickerson and Julie Lamb. Hey, hey, everyone. Annie Dickerson here here together with the fabulous Julie Lamb. And we're coming off a fantastic weekend or four days rather of Tony Robbins Unleash the Power Within. And if you have never been to one of Tony Robbins events, we highly, highly recommend it. The first time that Julie and I went to one of his events was back in 2019. We had just been in business for under a year at that point. Sort of understood the value of mindset, but this event was the first we went live, which meant that we were in this huge convention center space with 15,000 other people. And we were all yelling at the top of our lungs because that's a big part of the unleashing the power within, really getting you into that peak state, that beautiful state, walking over hot coals and pushing our limiting beliefs and really challenging all the things that were holding us back. And that was the first time back in 2019 that we went to UPW and had that breakthrough. And this time we've been back many times virtually. And this time, the last few days, we had the privilege of bringing the whole Good Egg team to Tony Robbins Unleash the Power Within virtually. And if you've ever done anything like that, just had this amazing experience. And then you had the privilege of bringing people you know and love bringing them into that experience with you, whether it's something like UPW or it's traveling or it's going to a great restaurant. You know, it's that impact piece. It's giving somebody else the gift of that experience. So speaking of which, our guest today is Omni Casey or Omni the Investor Guy. And that's a big passion of his too, is he discovered real estate investing along his path. He's always been passionate about business ever since he was a little kid. And along the way, he tried all sorts of different businesses and he really fell in love with real estate because of all that it could provide. And so along the way, though, he tried all sorts of different flavors of real estate investing, so to speak. And through that process, he started to naturally just talk with um, people around him and share uh, some of the things he was doing. And now he's not only a real estate investor, but he's also a broker and a coach. And that's a p big part of who he is, is he loves bringing other people, including his family. And in the conversation, he'll talk about that, how he brings his kids into the business as well and helps them really take ownership and really amplify the things that they're interested in, passionate about while learning about real estate and passive income and all that it can set them up for in their lives. And so Omni is another great example of somebody who's worked incredibly hard, has been resourceful, has achieved financial freedom, and rather than sitting on a beach, <laughs> rather than shutting down and just focusing on themselves, really focuses on others. 
and really gives back through everything that he has created and continues to do. So I know that you are going to love this conversation. We cover a whole lot of ground, including how Omni grew up as one of eight kids and his mom homeschooled and all the lessons he learned through that. And then later, then reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and really opening his mind to this concept of real estate investing and passive income, and really testing the waters, trying out different things, including flipping. He talks about that, flipping, wholesaling, the burr strategy. We dive into that and how that works, and all the different things that he's up to now as not only an investor, but also a broker and a coach. So if you are new to the world of real estate investing, you are going to get a ton out of this conversation. But on top of that, if you are curious at all about passive investing, maybe Amna in this conversation talks about how some people really want that control. They really want to roll up their sleeves. They want to learn how it works and they want that control over their investments. And if that's you, definitely you're going to get so much out of this conversation. But if you hear that and you're like, you know what? I want to invest in real estate, but I don't want to do the work. I don't want to have that control. I'm happy to give that up and invest with someone else who is the professional who does do all of that hard work. Then we have the perfect book for you. It is our book. It's called Investing for Good, and it'll really take you through the ins and outs of what passive investing really means and how it all works, how syndications come together, what to watch out for, the risks, the benefits, the taxes, all of that good stuff. So if you are interested in real estate syndications, grab a free hardcover copy of our book. Just go to goodegginvestments.com slash book. All right. With that, let's go ahead and dive into our conversation with Omni Casey. Amnai, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm great, Annie. Thank you for having me. Well, now Amnai, as a real estate investor, broker, and coach, I know you have a passion for helping people to grow their real estate portfolios and their businesses and to set up what you call PIFL or passive income for life. Now, before we get into all of that, start by telling us a little bit about how you got into the world of real estate in the first place. Yeah. Thank you very much. Once again, I'm a big fan. I love podcasts. This is one of the few podcasts I can get my wife to listen to as well. So she loves your podcast. Huge fan of your show. But starting out, I'm from Hawaii. Originally born and raised in Hawaii. Started my investing career out there. But before that, I grew up in a really an entrepreneurial family. My father owned multiple businesses on the construction roofing side of things. My mom ran a few home-based businesses. And I didn't know that was what entrepreneurism was, but I just knew that I didn't want to be an employee because I didn't see anyone modeling this employee kind of lifestyle there. And it kind of gave them the freedoms to do what they thought they wanted to do. My mom was really passionate about education and wanted to make sure she can homeschool us. So she actually homeschooled eight of us kids at a very young age. And she was able to do that because of kind of being that entrepreneur. So I kind of went down the path of business entrepreneurism, found the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I think many stories really start there and went down this business path. It wasn't real estate at the time. I just love business. I would like to say there was something more significant. I stumbled into real estate as an investor 
It's just something I should be doing while I was doing these other things. And I found the real estate investing side and I found the agent brokerage side. And I realized that those were probably some of the best businesses ever. No matter what, those are amazing businesses to be a part of. Although investing has been a part of my journey for about 20 years, it wasn't my identity. It was my passion. It was what I love to do. But I spent most of my time on other businesses and the real estate agent and business coaching side of things, which I love. I'm almost embarrassed to say this, but the reality is we didn't grow up talking about money. And so because of that, I never told anyone that this is what I'm doing, investing. My friends, my family, even some of the agents that I was coaching on the agent side really didn't get into that until just a few years ago. I just said, I felt foolish not sharing this knowledge and helping people achieve that financial freedom like I was able to achieve through real estate investing. So once I kind of opened that door and started coaching, I started what was called the cash flow breakfast club within my agents and kind of teaching this inner circle of agents, got out to teaching their friends and family. And now we teach everyone who wants to listen about it. And so once I really embraced the identity of being a real estate investor, I mean, that's how I became Omni the investor guy. And I haven't looked back since. Okay. Well, first, before we get into Omni, the investor guy, which I love, by the way, the listening audience didn't get to see Julie's and my jaw drop when you said (laughs) homeschooled eight kids. Oh my goodness. Your mom is a saint. I'm just curious. I don't want to sidetrack us too much, but what were the age ranges? So I'm terrible at ages. I barely know how old I am at any time, but there's eight of us and we're about two to three years apart each. I'm number three out of eight, um, all boys. And uh, my my sister is the very end. So I actually think they just really wanted a girl. She would have been the only child if she came first, but I guess we're lucky that she was at the very end and amazing childhood growing up and kind of, they were our classmates. Right. And, but my mom really, she had a background in education, but really was able to do that because they had these other businesses that gave them the freedom to be able to make that decision. Yeah. I love that. And that's such a good point. I homeschool my three kids and I always complain about it and feel like it's so much, but oh my gosh, one day, does your mom still live in Hawaii? Yes. I need to meet this woman and shake her hand because wow, I do not think I would be alive today if I had eight kids, but anyway, yes. So amazing and so awesome. And that's the point, right? Is that she was able to stay home with you as am I, I'm able to stay home and help homeschool my three kids along with my husband because of the businesses and the passive income that we have. And that's such a great point that that you brought that up. So yeah, love it. So I'm curious because you said that you all around you, the adults all around you, they were entrepreneurs themselves. They had businesses themselves, which is such the opposite, right? Of most kids upbringing. They say, oh, all I saw were W-2 employees around me. I didn't know any business owners. So it sounds like from an early age, it sounds like you were inspired and you were interested in business. Did you start businesses as a kid? Absolutely. Yes. I was inspired, really started with controlling my time. And then that probably started on the homeschool side of things, because unlike you, the bell rings and you go to school for this hour, you're talking about this, like we have these books, right? And my mom kind of got like books and some of them were at our grade level. Some of them were like college level, just because that's all she can get. Right. And so basically just said, you're learning this week and we got our content and I got to make the decision of, am I going to do this one at a time, or am I going to cram for two days or three days and be free for the next three days? And I had that flexibility of being able to kind of control my time. So everything I did after that was about really less about the money and how do I control that time? So I 
ventured into various businesses, vending machine businesses, coffee vending machine businesses. I had an ATM business, which were once again, not profitable, but took almost none of my time in there. I did get into the retail space. A buddy and I opened up a store at Alamoana Shopping Center right out of college. And, and I quickly realized I hated retail and it's a business, but I, there's, there's aspects of that that I didn't like. And so it was finding, I like to work hard. I do, but I don't like needing to work hard, if that makes sense. It's an important distinction, right? Having to work and getting to work. But I love that you said that, that early on, you sort of had this lesson. I think it's not something that most people wake up to until they're quite a bit older, that time is really that most valuable resource. Actually, as you were talking, it reminded me of when I was in kindergarten, we had all these different stations and some were like writing, some were math, and then some were like, go to the library or go to recess or play on the computer, right? And same, I would plan my entire week around, okay, how can I get all of the work done on Monday and Tuesday and have the rest of the week to just play and relax? And so I love that you crystallized it at such an early age to realize, okay, if I can be in control of my time, that's my destiny right there. And so then you went through these businesses and you found some gave you that time freedom, some maybe not so much. And then, okay, so then you find real estate. And so it sounds like you went on, you became a broker first. Is that right? So I actually became a real estate investor first. Investor first. Okay. I got into real estate investing because that's kind of what I, I thought I needed to do. And I loved the deal finding. I loved the analysis of it. And I kind of went down this path of, I need to become the best investor that I can be. And one of the key elements along the way was uh, that broker, that agent. And now it's a little different because there's a lot of agents that do invest. Still, most don't, but I would say starting out, it was hard to find someone that just knew anything about real estate investing and that wanted to help you. And so I just said, all right, if I'm going to have this kind of cog in the wheel that's very important, I might as well learn that cog as well because it was impeding my flow of being able to grow. Never really thought I would become a real estate agent or a real estate broker or real estate coach, but I'm glad I went down that path because that's very, very rewarding in a completely different side of things, but it also opened up my ability to invest without the block that I thought I had at the time. Right. Absolutely. So when you first start, so you read the little purple Bible, rich dad, poor dad, and then take us between that when you discovered that and you realized, oh my gosh, real estate could be the answer. And then how did you get started? Did you get started in single family homes, rentals, house hacking? How did you get started? And then how did you then scale that? Yeah, absolutely. So I think I've done every form of real estate investing throughout the last 20 years or so. And I'd love to say I succeeded in all of them. I didn't, but whether it was fix and flip, whether it was buying a rental property in Hawaii, there's more condos available in the price point that I can afford. So I started out in that condo side in Waikiki and then quickly learned how to invest long distance because Hawaii was too expensive for me. I didn't have money, right? And I didn't inherit anything. So I had to figure out how to invest with no money, low money down until I was able to save up enough. And I was able to expand to other markets. And really, I'm grateful for that because that allowed me to, one, I personally am a very hands-on person and I feel like I do everything the best. I know it's not true, but that's what I feel. I feel like I should do it the best, right? But there's no way I can go fly to a property and manage a property when I'm living in Hawaii and it's not in Hawaii. And so that forced me to get good at hiring people, trusting people and creating systems of verification, trust but verify, that allowed me to scale at my comfort level, even though I wasn't there. 
Now you mentioned you tried pretty much every flavor of real estate investing, and I'm sure there are listeners out there who are like, oh my gosh, I'm in the middle of that process. I'm trying out, trying to figure out which path is best for me. So is there a best path? Were there what? Give us some of the highs and lows and how you eventually figured out what path was right for you. I don't know if there's a best path. Uh, to be honest, I think most people, and I've had an evolution of thought over, about this over the last few years, I think most people are best starting out finding an investor, finding a fund, finding a syndication and doing that. And I don't run a fund. I don't run a syndication. Now you guys run a great one, but there's the passive side of things because most people don't have the time or don't really want to spend the time. right? And so I think that's where the majority of people lie. The majority of people that I connect with and attract because I'm an active investor, I attract active investors that are control freaks like me that want to actually learn how to manage and control the deal and things like that. So if you're in that maybe 5% of people that fall into that category, then I think finding the deal is very important. So that's always a skill set. So a lot of people look at the wholesale side of things. I'm not a wholesaler, but I had to learn how to be a wholesaler starting out because all that is, is finding deals and understanding that not every deal you find is for you. So everyone is really a wholesaler to start. I think everyone needs to know how to flip, whether you ever want to flip ever. That is an important skill set. Even if you're just doing a rental properties, my favorite type of investment is the burst strategy. And a very important part of the burst strategy is renovating. And really you're running a flip. You're just selling it to yourself. And if I did not do flips up into that point, I would not have been able to do that as well. So I think it's thinking about it in asset classes more than anything. Are you going to stay in the single family, maybe the small multifamily side of things, or are you going to jump up to commercial or something bigger? And it really, I think it's like, what is your passion? Like, what does your personality tell you that you'd be having the most fun doing? And if it all sounds terrible, then just go find someone else to do it for you. But if you're like, yes, I want to get in. I want to actually like knock down that wall and sure, I'm going to get someone to do it at some point, but I want to get involved. That's your passion at the moment. And it changes, right? Every five years, I kind of reevaluate of what I actually want to do with my life and my time. And it's different every time I reevaluate. I think it's so funny how you brought up this idea of everyone needs to know how to flip. That's such a great statement because it's in the process of flipping that you create value, right? And that's how we make money in real estate. It's one of the ways. It's not the only way, but it's one of the big ways that we, even in multifamily syndication, how we make money, right? It's by not necessarily doing like a flip, what most people think of like going in, buying it and selling it in a month or two months, but it's going in and doing the renovations on whatever scale, right? Whether it's foundational stuff, whether it's roofs, whether it's plumbing, whether it's just interior stuff, our value creation in quote flipping is taking a property and currently has been for the last year is is taking a property that's like 65 or 70% occupied and then getting it up to 95. And that in a sense is like learning how to flip too. It's learning how to take something that was once this and making it into something else, creating that value and then offloading it and making the money. So I think that's so interesting. I wanted to kind of back up a little bit because I was actually looking at buying condos in Hawaii 
before I got into what I do now. And this was probably about like six or seven years ago. And because stuff was so cheap. And when I say so cheap, I mean, you could get a condo in Waikiki for like $100,000, right? And I was like, should I buy it? Should I not buy it? And I looked at so many, flew home, looked at a bunch of properties and never pulled the trigger. I'm curious because there's so many different things, especially when looking at condos. If anyone out there is thinking about looking at a condo, what are some of the tips, some of the advice you may have? Because I know a lot of things that I learned. One of the biggest things is in Hawaii, especially is looking at the land ownership, right? Versus the leasehold. And if you don't pay attention to that, you're going to find yourself just owning a lease instead of actually owning the property, which is why sometimes the properties are so cheap, which I took me some time to even discover that I didn't even know. And like you said, not a lot of real estate agents even knew how to tell me that as an investor, they didn't know how to look at it that way. They just thought, oh, you want to buy a condo in your price point? Well, here's one. Here's a good one. But if anyone out there might be thinking about the same thing, because I know Hawaii real estate is like nuts right now, what is kind of your thoughts around the condo thing and how to approach that for a newbie? I mean, that's such a great point. Right? So the leasehold versus fee simple. I mean, if you're looking at just the MLS or in Zillow, you see LS. LH or FS. And if you don't know what it is, you don't know what it is, right? There's fees. You're like, all right, those must be condo fees. You're paying a leasehold fee, but it's almost like ground rent. But what most people don't know is it expires at some point, meaning you don't own it anymore. Yeah. You don't own it anymore. That's how it's a hundred thousand dollars. So it's a, actually a depreciating asset, which is crazy, yes. but a lot of Hawaii is like that. And I grew up with that. So that's like the radar. And when I moved to other markets, that's one of the first things I asked them, like, do you own the land as well? And people thought I was crazy. Like, of course you own the land. What do you mean? How would you own a home and not own the land? And that's just what it is in Hawaii. So understanding fee simple versus leasehold, I will say leasehold can be a profitable business. If you cash flow it well enough, you spec it out, but it's not the same type of investment like long-term real estate investing. And then right now, the big thing everywhere is short-term vacation rentals, right? And it's always been a big thing in Hawaii. There's so many limitations and in Hawaii, probably more than ever, they're trying to limit the ability to do short-term rentals, which is tough. And it's hard to cash flow in Hawaii without that ability, but there are some buildings that have the built-in ability to do short-term rentals and they're called condo hotels. So they are condo hotel buildings. Like one of these hotels, you might not know, but like 20% of it is owned by like individual owners and they decide to put their unit in the hotel pool and have the hotel management company rent it out for them, or they can rent it out themselves or they can live there, right? So you have those options. And if you're buying in a condo hotel, that gives you the ability to do that short-term rental in most cases. And that's a flexibility that is hard to come by right now. Now, if you go down that route, any sort of condos, you're running into extra layers of restrictions for financing. There's not a lot of banks that like to finance condo tells. And so it's understanding how to find those financing or getting really good at creative financing, seller financing and things like that, because those sellers might have a hard time getting the price that they know it should be worth but most buyers are not qualified for traditional financing to buy a condo tell, or instead of 20% down, they need to put down 40% down. And now the investor is saying, I don't know if I like those numbers. So I think understanding the differences between those and then the financing tied to each of those options. What is a condo tell? Can you, so like it's, what it's qualifies a, something as a condo tell? It is a condo that, so it's condo ownership, which we all understand, but it is the entire building is resort zoning. And so the entire building was designated as resorts for short-term rentals. And there's probably a lobby 
there's literally like a hotel that you stay at there. It might be a, it look like a hotel, but it's all individually owned condo units that the owners are just actually just renting out as part of the hotel stay. So it looks like a hotel. It smells like a hotel, but you can actually own a unit and live there or own a unit and rent it out as an investment. Yeah, I love that. It's funny because I think at one point, my agent and I were looking at properties trying to figure out how we could make it look like a condo hotel, even though it wasn't necessarily zoned as such. And I don't know, we were trying to do things that probably weren't allowed. But this is the point though, about working with somebody who has experience, somebody who's a real estate investor also. And the person I was working with was not, and he was just an agent. And so really getting him to understand the why behind what I was trying to do and getting the numbers to work was difficult. So I want to move on and talk about something else that you brought up, investing out of state. I still remember when I bought my first property out of state a couple of years ago. Actually, I guess it's like five or six years ago now. And the day that I wired the money and told, came home and told my husband, he got off of work, came home and we're sitting in the kitchen, put the kids to bed. I'm like, yeah, hun, I just bought this house. And I always say this, I bought this house in a city I've never been to, wired money to a man I've never met. And my husband was like, you did what? And he was like, so upset. Right. And I was like, don't worry, like, it'll be fine. And it luckily for me, it was fine. It was very scary. And like you said, you had learned kind of some lessons on scaling and learning how to hire and trust and verify. And now we do that on a much bigger level right now. I'm not just buying like a small duplex or a small single family home, but we're buying these large apartment buildings, we do travel out to them. So tell us about those early days, because I'm sure there's a lot of people out there. What I realized too, it's wild. Real estate is getting so mainstream now. We were talking about this on another podcast with John Stein a couple of weeks ago, and we were talking about what is it going to take for real estate to become kind of like mainstream? And I feel like we're heading in that direction. It's so fun to, to watch it head in this direction. So there's probably a lot of people out there who are like, I would love to buy, maybe they don't have enough money, right? To get into a syndication. 50,000 is kind of the minimum. Maybe they're not accredited. Maybe they're thinking that buying something out of state might be the way to go. What are kind of the first, where do you start, right? Like when I first, I fell into bigger pockets, I'm like, I don't even know, do I find a property manager first? Do I talk with the agent first? Do I find a construction person? <laughs> like, how do I build my team? Like, what does all of that look like? What advice do you have people who might be wanting to get into out-of-state rentals? Such a great question. And this has changed for me because I've made all the mistakes starting out. And clearly, yeah. so what I'm saying now is not how I actually started out, Yeah, but Clearly, you need the right team. You need that, like David Green talks about it from Bigger Pockets, right? The core four, you need that. But it's hard to do and actually impossible in my mind to, to get that if you don't actually understand the market you're going to go. Because if you are like, there's a thousand markets I can look at. There's a thousand markets kind of invest in. And I'm going to go find like interview 10 agents and 10 property managers per market before I even commit to it, right? And they're looking at you saying, you're never going to buy here. Like, why am I going to spend my time with you, right? So you have to do a level of commitment on the market before you even pull your team together. Now you can leverage agents, you can leverage property managers on a small scale to kind of figure that out. But here's what I realized. Every market can work. Every single market can work. Just kind of depends on what your goals are. If you want all cash flow, there's cash flow markets. If you want appreciation, there's appreciation markets. If you want to mix, there's some markets that mix. There's some in the path of progress, right? So it's understanding what do you want to do, your end goals. And so identifying that and then maybe that takes you down to 50 markets. And then you're like, do I have some sort of connection to one of these markets? Do I know someone? I don't know. Sometimes as little as did I vacation there sometimes, right? Because if you pick a connection, if you just decide 
And you realize, all right, I'm going to find that market. And then I'm going to make sure I find the best deals in that market, put the right team in place and I manage it correctly. They can be great investments. And so I'm not saying I invest in the best markets in the US. I invest in markets that I found a connection to and I made them work. And so one, finding those markets, just kind of saying, I'm just committing to this market for the short term. And then you're really finding your real estate agent and your real estate property manager. Now I'm licensed myself. I'm licensed in five states, but I always still hire an agent because although I'm licensed in that state, I don't really know that market. I don't know it. So I want someone that's boots in the ground, someone that could make those recommendations. If you have a really good agent and a really good property manager, that's what allows you to have the confidence to buy that first property. Then it's a test, right? Did it work out? And if it didn't work out, it's not, I lost $200,000. It's like, Maybe I'm selling at a break-even scenario, or maybe I made a little bit of money and it's not a lot, but I don't want to reinvest here because either the market's not for me or two, I don't have the right team in place, right? And so it's figuring that out. It's a very forgiving way to place money. Now, with that being said, now the best way is before I go into any market and bigger pockets has really kind of uh, made this easier for all of us, just go find a successful investor that's doing what you want to do and just say, can I invest in one of your deals? So I become a private money lender in a deal, in a market before I even decide on buying my own properties. And I get to take a backseat ride on an investment that I think is similar to what I want to do. I get to leverage by getting knowledge and maybe even some connections from that investor. And then at the end of it, I made some money probably, and I can decide, am I going to dive all in into this market and start investing here? And, and that's probably the best way to go because there's so much availability now of investors that are just open to share and willing to kind of take you on. We'll get back to our conversation with Omni in just a minute. Have you been thinking about investing in real estate, but aren't sure you have the time or the desire to manage the investment? Perhaps you're afraid like we were that you'll make the mistake of choosing the wrong market or the wrong team and lose your entire investment. Well, that's exactly why we created the Good Egg Investor Club. We do the work of identifying solid real estate investment opportunities in the best markets around the country and then partner with you to acquire these investments and then we'll all share in the returns. We'll identify the growing markets, strong, experienced teams, and the solid deals. We do all the heavy lifting of managing the tenants and the renovations, and as a passive partner, you get to enjoy all the benefits of investing in real estate, monthly cash flow, long-term appreciation, and the ongoing tax benefits. When we first discovered passive investing through real estate syndications, we realized it fit perfectly into our busy lives. We could put our money to work for our families, work less, and get more time back in our days so that we could focus on what matters most and discover our true passion and purpose in life. We've now helped hundreds of people invest passively in real estate syndications and are seeing the positive impact it's had on their lives. We invite you to partner with us by joining the Good Egg Investor Club today so you can start putting your money to work for you and get more time back in your day because we know that when people have more time in their days, they can do the true work they were intended to do and the world will be a better place. To sign up for the Good Egg Investor Club, go to goodegginvestments.com slash invest and we'll take it from there. That's goodegginvestments.com slash invest. And now back to our chat with Omni Casey. 
Yeah, I love all of that. And it's so true. It's different now. I think five, six years ago, there weren't as many, (laughs) as we're talking about, right? There weren't as many investors as there are now. And that certainly is an easier way is to find somebody who already knows the market and understands the dynamics and which properties to focus on and which ones to avoid and all of that stuff. But I think like you said, committing to your market first. I wish I knew that. Annie, I don't know if you did that when you first, when you ventured off into out-of-state stuff, but I didn't. And I was like that person who was like, I don't know, I think it's this one, could be this one, could be that one. And when I would reach out to agents, they got that, they smelled that, that I was just like, oh, maybe this deal will work in Indiana and maybe this one will work in Texas. And maybe I was kind of all over the place, right? So under really understanding the market and doing your due diligence, your own due diligence so that you can kind of talk to the real estate agent in a way that says, hey, look, I know what's happening already in this market. I know what's going on. It's more likely that they're going to want to really help you because they see that you've already done the research and you've already done the work in that market. So that's such a, a great point. You brought up something about the core four. I don't know what that is. I have a feeling I know what it is, but what it, what is the core four? So agent, property manager, what are the Yeah, other? this comes from David Green's book, Long Distance Real Estate Investing. I'm going to blank on probably all of them would be my guess, but it starts with your agent, your property manager, your contractor, and your lender, I believe are is what in the core four. And then really there's like 10 people you need on your team. But if you have your money sorted out through your lender in that area, you have your property manager, assuming that it's going to be a rental, your agent is really your deal finder. And then no matter what, you're always going to need contractor work. And sometimes that contractor is one of the hardest things to find. And maybe it is just multiple contractors that you're relying on. But if you can find like your go-to guy that is like, I'm going to drop what I'm going to do. I'm going to do your project because I know working with you turns into 20 jobs over the next year or so versus the one that I'm working on right now. It's very important. Right. Yeah. You brought up something else earlier, and I think we've maybe talked about it on the show once, the Burr strategy. I still remember when I read what that was, I was like, oh my gosh, this is like genius, the Burr strategy. And then I went out and tried to implement it on a property I bought, not knowing that most banks won't lend for a property that's worth less than 50 grand. And so I was stuck with all my cash tied up in this property. Tell the audience who might be listening, what is this birth strategy? What does it stand for? What does it mean? And why do you love it? Yeah, the Burr strategy is, is just brilliant. It's one of the first things I did before it was called Burr. And I think many investors, and I just learned it from someone that was teaching me investing. And he's like, we're going to do this. There's no name for it. And Brandon Turner, personal friend, mentor of mine. like I think he's the one that actually coined that. And David Green wrote the book on that, right? So get all the details in, in the book, but it's buy. Your, so you're buying your property, you're rehabbing it, you're adding value or creating value, like you mentioned, Julie, earlier, taking from this value to this value. So you have your acquisition cost plus your renovation cost. You're renting it out instead of selling it. You're just renting it out. And then now you're going to a bank and you're saying, I raised the value and I'm going to refinance. I would like you to refinance 70 to 75% of that new value that I created. And if you do it great, perfectly, it is your purchase price and your renovation cost, and you're getting all your money back. And now you have a rental asset that with no money left in the deal. Now I've done burrs where I've had to leave money in the deal. I've done burrs where I've took all my money out plus a couple hundred grand. And it's like, that's great, right? So it works on both ends of that, but it's basically flipping a home with having a guaranteed buyer. You are always the buyer because you want to keep that property forever. And, and my mindset, the biggest regrets I have in life 
is selling properties. Like if I had to do it all over again, I would keep every property I've ever bought. It's a little facetious because I do sell properties, but the vast majority of properties I buy, like I'm like, I just keep this forever, right? So that allows you to add value, spend money on it, make it beautiful, and then get the bank to really buy it from you and you still own the property. Yeah, I love that. The birth strategy always reminds me of Rich Dad, Poor Dad and the beginning part of the story where his uncle had asked him to like go out there and create money or something like that. Or they went out and they literally were trying to like copy money or like reprint money. And when I learned about the birth strategy, I was like, oh my gosh, this is how you create money out of nowhere. Like literally there was like nothing and now there is money. It's like the equivalent of like money growing on trees kind of a thing, which goes back to the learning how to flip right? And how you said that's so important because that's like the value creation there. And that's how we make money where there was not money before. So I love that. Thank you. Remembering what BRRRR stands for always eludes me. I'm always like, I don't know. It's like, I always get the first part, but I always forget the last couple. So I love that. But yes, and so true too. The one that I did it on didn't work. And then I have others that I did do it on and it did work, but hanging on to those because you may have nothing in it, right? Nothing or very little in it. And so it's such a good way for anyone out there who might be wanting to get into the space and you don't have a lot of equity to begin with is just creating that equity very quickly is using the birth strategy. So I love that. I Um, love how you keep saying create because I use the word add a lot. I use the word raise value. And it's different, right? You know, adding value, raising value, that's painting rooms, that's changing granite. Creating is something different, right? It's just like, it's, it was a three bedroom. Now it's a four bedroom, right? Or something like that. It takes it to yeah. a whole different value class. And that's really what it is. It's finding a way to not just add value, but create value is, yes. I love your terminology. Yes, yes. And it's funny because my first like foray into creating value was I had a condo and it was a three bedroom condo with a, a den downstairs that didn't have like a door on it. And I was renting the three bedroom upstairs. And I was like, what can I do with this? How can I create that value? Right. And so we went out and we bought a big expensive, like sliding door cost two or $3,000 at the time. That was a lot of money to invest back into this property. And I ran the numbers and did the math. And I was like, there was like a guest bathroom right across the way. And I was like, if I could rent this out for $550, ran all the numbers, I was like in a year or whatever, I could make my money. And then it'll just be pure cash flow on top of what I was getting before. And so that was like my first, like, intro into like creating value or whatever was that first condo that I owned. But yeah, it's so fun. And I think that's when I caught the bug for real estate was I was like, oh my gosh, like all of a sudden there's $500 a month here where there wasn't before. And it's just, how do we shift the value? But real quick, before we move on, I know you have some kids and I believe you integrate your kids into your business. Tell us a little bit about that. That's so important to me. I have three kids of my own and it's been such an important part of why I've gotten into this. And I almost feel like it's our responsibility, us three sitting here talking to teach the next generation, right? About what is real estate investing? How does it work? What is entrepreneurship? What does it mean? What are the differences and all of that? But tell us about, I don't know, some fun things that you do with your kids. How do you integrate them into the business? Probably the most rewarding. I've been doing this for almost 20 years, but the last five years or so have been the most rewarding because of that. I've been able to pull my family in. We have a business called New Leaf Redevelopers, but it's just my family. It's my wife, me, and my three kids. So we got some virtual assistants as well. But so that 
kind of manages our family portfolio and our family kind of projects there. And they all have various roles. My youngest is seven. He's kind of like still figuring out what he's interested in and is the muscle for now. He goes with us on demo day and we let him swing a hammer. We get some photo ops. That's Austin. And my daughter, she's nine. She's the CEO, like the mini CEO. Like if she could fire me today, she would because she can do it better than me. And if there's anyone fighting to go on the weekends with me to go see some properties, it's her. Like she's like fighting to do that. This is going to be her passion and that I love that. And my oldest, he's Kingston. He's He's 13. He's smart. He's a computer guy, tech guy. And I didn't actually think he loved real estate. He was always willing to kind of, but he told me just like a couple months ago, he's like, I think I want to do what you do when I grow up. I'm like, that's cool. Right. And, but he's going to take a different approach, maybe a much more thoughtful, educated approach with maybe better systems and spreadsheets than I have. But really what it comes down to is one of the reasons why I start to invest closer to where I am right now, Northern Virginia, outside of the DC market, not because it's the best market to invest in. You can, like I said, you can invest in any market, but I really want to invest closer so I can like drive by and take my kids and point at that and take them through. And like, other than just, we play the cash flow, the cash flow board game and we talk about it and we read books. They read, they all read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and they have their assignments, but it's nothing like them actually walking through a property and talking about like, this is your rental property. Here's what we're doing for this. And this is what we're doing. And I give them jobs and tasks for the properties that they take over. And so they actually have properties that they have quote unquote ownership in. And we just track kind of the numbers, right? We track the, the process and the older they are, the more in depth we can kind of get into it. But I want them to understand here is the reason we can do this. Here is if they want something, it's not, can I get money? It's like, how do I earn that? Or how do I create that money? And real estate just happens to be the way that our family creates money. And so every single weekend, if I'm out looking at properties, making offers, checking on renovation projects, someone is with me, one of those kids, if not all three of them. That's so fun. That's so cool. Yeah. That's the part that we, I don't invest here locally, so I can't take my kids and drive by. I know Annie's done that before with her son, but that's so awesome. I love that. I love making, having everybody within your business, in your company, in terms of your, either the passive stuff or the properties you own, everybody has a role. And I love that. I think I'm going to adopt that into what I do as well. That's so fun. And my daughter is about the same age as yours. And she is a mini me. And she will, same thing. She always wants to sit down. She wants to talk about investing. She wants to talk about, she's got her notebook. Like she's all like ready to go. And so I think I might like make her CEO too. I love that. That's so cool. Raising these girls this way to really empower them to take the lead, I think is so fun. And so, oh my gosh, so cool. We could do like another show. I think we need to, where we just talk about like kids and like strategies and how do we involve kids and all that kind of stuff. Because I know there's probably a lot of parents out there who want to get their kids involved. And just it's a conversation that we investors kind of have behind closed doors, right? But passive investors don't always have that opportunity to talk about all of that. So I love that. All right. Well, we have to move on to the last part of our show. We're going to ask you a couple of questions around life and money. So it's our life and money show spotlight round. So the first question that we're going to dive into is around your life and money. So what is one thing that you're doing right now to live a meaningful and intentional life by design? Love that. And once again, this changes. I reinvent myself. I think every 10 years, I live by decades. And this is, I just hit 40. And so this is kind of my new thing moving forward, but I found The Family Boardroom, a book by Jim Shields. I don't know if you read that yet. And so if you haven't read it, it's it's like a two-hour read. It's an amazing book, but it speaks to 
the problem that I had. I think I've gotten really good at investing, really good at business. I figured the money thing out, the passive income thing out. But I think I've always felt like I was an okay father. Okay. Like I know my kids love me. I love them. And we'd have our investing thing. But I kind of felt like that was it, like almost like a boss more than a father sometimes. I know they enjoy it to a point, but really the gap I felt was I needed to figure out a way to make a better connection. And so I restructured my entire life over the last year or so to buy back some time from the, the multiple businesses that I run and manage. I love those businesses, but I had to figure out how to buy more time for my family. And really, I found this book after the fact. I'm part of a group called uh, Go Abundance, And once a week, we meet as a mastermind. And one of my mastermind people on my group just kind of was telling me about this book and something he was doing with his young kids. And apparently, the, the issue I've been having, he had a year ago. And so he kind of shared it, looked it up. Basically, in a nutshell, it means creating a boardroom, like running a business, but with or your relationships, which sounds cold. It's not. And it really is. It gives every 90 days with each kid, like something for them to look to look forward to. We do a lot of family things all the time, but now it's like, how do I build a relationship with that one person? Right? Because if you're going out as a family, someone's always in the middle, someone's lost in the background there. So it's like, Hey, Kingston, we're going to go out and it's just going to be you and me. And it's going to be whatever you want. We're not going to go buy a property. We're not going to go walk around. Like, if that's what you want to do, great. That's what I want to do. But that's not like, what do you want to do? And so they kind of control that day. And the book's about creating those moments, right? Being there every day is important, but creating these moments where they can point back to and say, okay, that's where my relationship, that's where I understood my dad a little bit better. That's where I started to understand my son better, right? And having these conversations that are beyond how was your day? Great. Thanks. All right. Bye. And so that has completely changed my life. I feel that's like a life hack. I'm several months into that, but I think I'll be doing that the rest of my life, the family boardroom. That's So awesome. I have that book and I have not read it. So tonight I'm going to start reading it. I love it. I love it. I I got the book and it's been sitting on my nice. I read so many. I have like ADD. I can't focus on one book. So I have like a stack of like 20 books next to my bedstand. And it's like, what do I feel like reading tonight? And then I slowly creep through everyone. But anyway, I love that. Can't wait to dig in. We recently started doing that as well. Realized the importance of individual time. Dad's been taking the girls on like date nights and spending time with them individually. And I've been getting to spend some time with my son. And then the girls have been wanting to spend some time away from the boy. And just so we've been splitting up lately. And it's been so good, I think, for everyone to have that individualized time alone or together with mom and dad. So that's so cool. I love that. All right. Second question is around others, life and money. What is one life or money hack that you can share that'll make an impact in others' lives right now? So I benefited from this last year. I call it the marathon goal. And so I love setting goals. I've been in business my entire life. So it's, you know, setting goals, but most of my life has been small, achievable goals. I did this last year. So I'm going to do this. I was never really big on these huge goals. And that shifted for me at some point. And so I call it the marathon goal. And I wrote a book, it's coming out this year, and it's a story in that book. And it basically talks about, I have not run a marathon, so it feels like I don't have the authority to call it a marathon goal. But let's just say you wanted to run a marathon and you announced to the world, I'm running a marathon in a year. That's what I'm doing, right? And you commit to this big, big goal. Like, what do you do? Think about that. Like from that day forward, you become a different person. Like you probably change your diet. You probably go Google, what should I do to prepare for a marathon? You're not showing up a year later, just running a marathon. No one can do that, but you have to become a different person. You have to become a marathon runner because you committed to running that marathon. 
and I'm going to train. I'm going to work out more. I'm going to time myself. I'm going to push myself every single month, every single quarter until I get there. And so it really is pushing yourself outside of your comfort level is what causes yourself to grow. And in contrast to that, if your goal was a year from now, guess what, guys, I'm going to go run a mile, right? Now, I'm embarrassed to say I don't regularly run miles. I should start running miles, but I'm pretty sure if that was what I announced, I would go a whole year and not change one thing. Because at the end of the year, I'm like, I could probably do that. I don't do it regularly, but I could probably do that. So it's understanding the marathon goal. What scares you? What is something that you need to become a different person to achieve? And once you kind of put it out there, you become a different person. So last year in my business, I announced to the world, we're going to buy 52 properties in 52 weeks. And that was my marathon goal. We typically do five, 10, 20 properties a year. I'm like, I want to stretch myself. And the moment I put that out there, it was scary. I had to become a better investor. I had to find better deals. I had to analyze more properties. And like, I became more obsessed if that's, believe it or not, in real estate investing. Now, at the end of the year, I did not hit the 52. We got more than 52 under contract. We ended up closing on about 45 properties by the end of the year, but it's two, three, four times more than I normally would have done if I was just happy with my small and achievable goals. I love that. I'm going to need to read your book because I was the foolish one who was like, I'm going to go run this marathon and then did and didn't do a single day of training. (laughs) I ran the Honolulu marathon with my sister last December and was like promised her we were going to do it and didn't train at all. So I probably need to read your book so that I can prepare next time better. But I love that. And a lot of it goes back to setting goals that are outside of your first belief, what you believe you can do, and then outside of your comfort zone, right? And Tony Robbins talks about this all the time. He talks about how you need to essentially live in the space that is outside. Like if your comfort zone is here, you need to live always to like just above that and just outside of that. And I think that when you're setting these big audacious goals, though, I'm sure you talk a lot about this in the book that it's how do we plan, right? Because it's so easy to set goals. But like you said, it's the planning piece that's going to help you get to that goal and actually achieve it and reach it. So when in the world do you have time with three kids and running all these businesses to write a book? That is so awesome. When is it coming out? So that was another thing that last year I announced, all right, it's coming out last year. It didn't come out last year. So I wrote this about three years ago, okay. never actually planned to publish it. It was just kind of my story, right? This is before I kind of came out as, Hey guys, I'm an investor. Here's what I did, but I kind of felt like I needed to teach more people. So it became my instruction manual of here's what I did. Here's what you can do if you wanted to achieve financial freedom through this path, right? It's not the only path, but it's a path that I went through. And it was my story. And I think one of the things holding me up is I didn't like telling my story. Still very uncomfortable telling my story. And so last year, my wife helped me. We kind of took all the principles, took the stories and put it in this parable format. And telling the story through this main character of this book it happens to be very similar. It happens to be about an investor that started in Hawaii that became a real estate agent that went through these trials and tribulations and found financial freedom. But it's basically embedded in the story are these steps that basically anyone can follow, whether real estate is your passion or not, you can become financially free through real estate. And I think most people, and, and that's, that was the aha moment for me, real estate is my passion. And I'm like, oh, I'm so lucky. And I make a lot of money in real estate. But most people I talk to, that's not their passion, but they still need to make a lot of money or they still need to get the passive income for life, this piffle that we talk about in the book. And so no matter what your passion is, if you're financially free or setting up financial freedom, that actually funds your passion. If you want to be a ballerina, my daughter wanted to be a ballerina and be like, oh, you're not going to make money as a ballerina. (laughs) But 
if she owns a bunch of properties and she's financially free, go be the ballerina, go be a barista. If you want go be an artist, whatever your passion speaks to your soul. That's what we should be able to do. Unfortunately, most of us can never do that because money is like, oh yeah, well, we got to make money, right? So your passion does not pay the bills. Forget about your passion. And so that's really what the book speaks to is, all right, you can have two different things, money, growth, financial freedom, and a separate passion if that's what you wanted. I love that. It's so right up the alley with this show and crushing your passion. It just sounds so terrible and breaks my heart. And I think about that. And what I love is on this show, we get to bring folks like you who have achieved that, right? Where they have achieved financial freedom. And every time people just talk about doing something good, right? Whether it's following their passion and helping other people, or whether it's like giving back to their kids or the community or whatever, and leading with their passion. So I just, I love that so much. That's so cool. All right. Well, last question is around life and money in the world. So what is one thing that you're doing right now to make the world a better place? One, I think since I freed up a lot of my time, basically by hiring the right people to help manage the businesses that I run probably more efficiently than I could run. And I'm still involved and I get to pick and choose the things that I love. I love coaching, like my real estate agents. I run a brokerage. I love coaching them. I like love helping them. There's a lot of administrative stuff that I don't love doing, right? So hiring the right people to allow me to buy back my time to one, focus my time in what I'm doing, but open up more time that I can basically donate and do what I think is going to benefit people. So I've been coaching and training real estate investors, and it's not a business. I don't charge for it. I don't make any money. I don't think I'll ever make money doing that, but it's probably the most rewarding thing that I do. So it's spending my time coaching, training is really the focus. What I think impact-wise, because giving money is one thing, but helping them achieve that passive income is kind of a completely separate thing. And then separate from that, my wife and I on the investing side, we do try to give money. We do try to be charitable. And once again, this is kind of my control freak mindset, or I give $10,000 to this charity and it's a great cause, but they're so poorly managed and they're probably not using it to the most efficient funds and they're not reinvesting. They're not doing the burst strategy with that money. They turn it into way more money, right? So it's almost like I decided a while ago. So a 10th of the doors that we have, I always try to figure out how to turn it into the profits from that into one more investment property, recycle the funds that I would have given. And then basically I'm set up these charity or giving doors. And so now it allows me to put all the profits, all the cash flow from those doors into a separate account. We don't see it. It's way more than what we would have given the first time around. And then that allows us to say, okay, this is growth returns that we're giving to them. So they don't have to be investment geniuses on their end. We figure that out for them and they're getting a better return. So that's been rewarding over the last few years of seeing the amount of money that we can pull in from these investments, these birth strategies, and just choose the charity of whatever our kids, whatever we're passionate about at that time. Such a great way to just maximize what you're giving. I love that. I've never heard anybody say that before, but I love that that you're taking on because you know how to invest. So you're taking that piece on, maximizing that wealth creation on their behalf. I love that. And what you're talking about around time, it's almost going back to what you were saying early in the show. From an early age, you realize the value of time and you really commanded that and really took control of that from an early age. And now the fact that you're on the other side of everything, you've achieved financial freedom, and now you're giving back through your time. That's probably the greatest gift that you could give. So Omni, tell everybody if they did want to get in touch with you, learn more about all that you're doing, what's the best place that they can go? OmniTheInvestorGuy.com is my website. So you can find me there, all my handles, 
Facebook, Instagram. Begrudgingly, I just got on TikTok. I'm not dancing yet. I'm on there now. Omni the Investor Guy is my handles everywhere. Um, you can find out about the book. You can find out about me. You can contact me. My cell phone's everywhere on that website. Soon enough, we'll be watching those TikTok videos. I love it. Omni Casey, real estate investor, broker, coach, creator of New Leaf Redevelopers. And of course, Omni, the investor guy. Omni, thank you so much for being here with us and our listeners today. It was a pleasure. Thank you, both of you. You've been listening to The Life and Money Show, the number one podcast for people who, like you, are living a meaningful and intentional life by design, building true wealth, and making an impact in the world. For more resources, check out goodegginvestments.com and be sure to join the Life and Money Show community on Facebook. And if you got value out of this show, please subscribe and give us a five-star review so we can continue to bring you amazing new conversations. 